You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, and this is episode number 91. And today we are talking to Sarah. And Sarah had a VBAC unassisted after her C-section. Now, going unassisted for for your VBAC is not something Megan and I generally recommend, but sometimes women don't have the option if they want to VBAC or they can't find supportive providers or a lot of other things come into play. Yeah, yeah. That to that lead a woman to choose that option. And because we want you to know all the options that are available to you and so that you can choose what feels most comfortable for you, which we talk about using your intuition a lot. Mm-hmm. And sometimes a woman's intuition will lead her to have an unassisted birth at home for any number of reasons. And so we're excited to share this story with you today from our friend Sarah, who is from the Northeast. But before we do that, Megan has a review of the week for us. I do. And today we have a review from Haley F. And this is on Facebook. And she says, as I travel two and a half hours each way to get my VBAC, the VBAC Link podcast was my go-to listening for all those long hours in the car. All the VBAC stories were so inspiring. And I'm happy to say it helped me achieve my unmedicated VBAC. And I hope to share my own VBAC story with the VBAC link one day and be a part of this inspiration. Yay. Yes, I'm hoping she has submitted her story. And congratulations, Haley. And I love that. I love hearing that this podcast is doing exactly what we started it for, is inspiring women. It's helping women. It's educating women. And it just makes me so happy. So if you haven't left a review, we would love to know what you think of the podcast. So let us know. We're everywhere you can imagine. Facebook, We you can write us on Instagram. You can write us on Facebook. Or you we, can Google us. We, yep. Or you can Google us everywhere. Apple iP- um, iTunes. So yeah, I, I'm excited. I love listening to these or reading all of these reviews. It's really fun. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. Welcome, welcome, and happy Wednesday. I'm so excited to talk with Sarah today to share her story. And I have a little quick story before we get started. One of the things I was considering for my one of my VBACs was... For my fourth feedback, actually, I was I had hired a videographer who was also a doula. So I was like, so we were making plans at the very beginning of my pregnancy to figure out the best birth for this time. And we made a plan that we would drive, my husband would drive around in the van when I was in labor. And we'd just drive around close by the hospital. And when I started pushing, we'd go park in the parking lot and then have the baby in the van and then walk into the hospital <laughs> with baby in arms and say, oh, no, we had an accidental car baby. And then just to check and make sure, you know, baby and mom are OK for the afterwards. And then that was it. And it sounded like a really good plan to me. But I talked to my husband about it and he was like, um, listen, <laughs> he's like, I feel like I have been pretty patient and pretty accepting of all your birth plans so far. He's like, I know way more about birth than I ever thought I was going to. There have been placentas in our fridge. And honestly, you can have whatever birth you want as long as there is some type of professional in the room with us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to have a doula and a videographer, a professional one. And he's like, that's not what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so we ended up having another home birth with a midwife. But I'm just, I'm excited to hear this story and kind of see how all the details unfolded and how Sarah came up with these plans. So Sarah, I would love to turn it over to you for you to share your story with us. Sure. Thanks for having me. So I am a chiropractor and yes. I, 
Yes. Sorry, and so I, I, <laughs> I know, and I'm so glad because it's so helpful for humans in general. But yes. for pregnant people, it can be even more help because there's a lot of things that you can't do or can't take when you're pregnant that maybe you could if you weren't. And mm-hmm. so for pain or, you know, the Webster technique to help make room for a baby to turn if they're in the wrong position, uh, a chiropractor can be a huge help. So I have a lot of background knowledge and a lot of that, This, which is why I will get to later. I, I eventually was comfortable with having my baby unassisted, um, but I also have a master's degree in nutrition and I've been interested in birth since I was a kid, which is probably a weird thing to be interested in. No but way. My six-year-old I, loves watching birth videos right, and so, talking about it and stuff. I think it's great. All right, good. So I'm on the same page with your kids. Yes. Um, but I've always had a, a strong trust in my body and just felt as though I was a really healthy person. I was a CrossFitter, a runner. I did yoga. And uh, in our practice, my husband and I worked together. We would see mostly a pretty athletic population. So I was all entrenched in that before getting pregnant and having kids. And so we got married, my husband and I, in 2012. And we decided to wait a little bit to try to get pregnant because we had just opened our practice. And so having children and all the stuff that goes into opening a business, plus having no money seemed like a bad combination. So we waited a little while. And then when we finally did decide to try, we got pregnant on the first try. And I was like, oh, of course, you know, this is how I felt about my body that of course my body can do this So on the first try. And it was, you know, I didn't even think anything of it and decided to choose a home birth because that always sounded appealing to me. And I uh, hired a midwife, a CPM. And uh, I think I had maybe one visit with her and it was fine. And then uh, I got to my 10 week visit, I believe. And she tried to use the Doppler to hear a heartbeat and she was having trouble finding a heartbeat. And she said, and I knew because I had done some research that Mm. sometimes at 10 weeks, you can't hear it with a Doppler. Mm. And so I was like, all right, well, maybe that's the case, but I kind of felt like something was wrong. And then the next day I started spotting. And so I called her and I ended up going in to have an ultrasound. And uh, the doctor who did the ultrasound said, this isn't a good pregnancy. And I was like, Okay. I didn't, I didn't know what to say in yeah, the room. What so. do you say to that? Mm-hmm. You know? What do you say? Like, uh, thank okay. you? <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. So I didn't, I, I didn't respond in the room, and I just, we, we left and went out to the car, and I just cried and cried and thought, what, you know, what did I do wrong? I, I felt like my body had failed me like I had failed. Mm-hmm. And so now that trust that I had had in my body my whole life was really challenged. And yeah. so I thought about, the different ways that there were to actually miscarry because it was a it was a missed miscarriage, so it had only gestated for six or seven weeks, but it was oh, still there. Yeah, and so that made me feel a little weird too. So I really wanted it to just be over with, and so I went to my OB and we talked about different ways to get things going, and decided to take Cytotec to do it at home, and so. That way I didn't have to wait around for my body to do it all on its own, though it was showing signs it was going to start doing that soon. So I went home and I miscarried at home and, mm-hmm. you know, it's sad. Yeah. Sad. And, that, and then you have to go back and you have to tell everybody, you know, you told everyone you were pregnant and now you have to tell yeah. all of those people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was hard and something I definitely didn't want to do. But when I was miscarrying, I wanted to be by myself. And so that was my first inkling that maybe – unassisted birth would be for me mm. sometime in the future. Mm-hmm. And my, my husband was outside the door like, are you okay? <laughs> but, I, you know, eventually I was fine. And I would have told him if something was wrong or I felt like I needed help, but I just kind of wanted to go through it on my own. Mm-hmm. So having that now in my psyche, I, I healed a little bit and we waited a, a few months and then we started trying again. But maybe six months went by and I didn't get pregnant and I was 30 34. I was 35 by the time I had my first son. So I was like 34-ish. And uh, I just didn't want to wait anymore because I wasn't sure how long it was going to take. And I didn't know if I wanted to have more kids. And I just wanted to get the show on the road. So we ended up going to see my OB. 
and started doing intrauterine insemination. So we did two cycles of that, which was, you know, it's highly monitored. It's a very medical thing. So, you know, it's not like how I got pregnant the second time, which I'll tell you about in a minute, which was just, it just happened, um, which is what you think if no one talks about it, that's how everybody gets pregnant. And so I had to have medications and ultrasounds to check, you know, whether my follicles were developing and um, then the insemination. So we went through two cycles of that and then I got pregnant, which was good. But then I was worried because what if it happened again? Now, now I don't know. Is this, is this going to work out for me? Maybe this is mm-hmm. what always happens. But I, you know, I, I was pregnant, so that was good. And I decided to stay with my OB care because even though I really wanted a home birth, and I had this, my intuition was telling me that if I did go to the hospital for some reason, I would end up with a C-section. But I was like not listening. You know, it's way back in the back of my head. You're being a crazy person, Sarah. So I didn't, I didn't listen. So I also, the hospital that I would be at, was it's a really nice hospital. It was five minutes from my house. My insurance covered it, so it was, like, really cheap to have a baby. And that's nice. you know, it's a concern for a lot of people because us just having our practice not for, the, for very long, we weren't making very much money, and it was, like, thousands and thousands of dollars to hire a midwife. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know, I'll go to the hospital. I think I'll be fine. So I, I kind of conceded on that and thought it was maybe the best thing for our family, even though it wasn't necessary necessarily the best thing for me in that birth. So the pregnancy went on, but as it was getting closer to 10 weeks, I was wondering, is it going to make it past that? And, you know, I'm worried about that. And everything was fine. Pregnancy went well. I didn't have any issues. Um, I hired a friend of mine as a doula, who's still a friend of mine. She was in um, midwifery school at the time, and she's a midwife now. Mm. Um, So I was one of the people that she helped through birth at the time when she was a doula. And we were gearing up and we were getting ready. And I was just close to 40 weeks. I was a couple days shy. And at night, my labor started. But I didn't know about prodromal labor at that time. So didn't realize, yeah, that I was in for a long haul. So it started probably two days before. It was like every 10 minutes for, you know, I I could kind of sleep in between, but not really. And so I just kind of stayed up all night. And then after laboring all night, I woke my husband up in the morning, let him rest. And then we, we went to the hospital to go see what was going on. And I was only a centimeter dilated. And I thought I was leaking fluid, but I wasn't sure. And so we went in and the nurse that had me said, no, you're not leaving. You're going to be induced. And I said, Whoa. no, no, I'm no, I'm not. <laughs> because I was so close to my due date and they thought I was leaking fluid because mm-hmm. I said, I think I'm leaking fluid. And I said, can you do the amnesure test? Mm-hmm. And so they tested my fluid to see, you know, what kind of fluid it was. And it actually was not amniotic fluid. So I wasn't leaking. And the nurse actually thanked me because I had stood up for myself and said, I don't think this is right. Can you please do the test? Because otherwise I would have had to fight them. You yeah. know, but I, mm-hmm. but I didn't because that wasn't the case. So we went home and the contractions died down during the day and then they come back at night again. And so in the morning, the next day, we went to see my OB and she confirmed that it still wasn't my water broken, even though it looked like fluid and that because my water wasn't broken, but it seemed like things were starting to move along to go home and have sex and then see what happened and so before that I went out to get pancakes because that was more important really needed pancakes (laughs) so we went out to get pancakes (laughs) then we went home followed our instructions and it did work and and contractions started around four and so I called my doula eventually and she came over around eight and we hung out at home and then we went to the hospital around 10 and I brought all of the things Anybody that came into the room was like, wow, this is a well-equipped room because I just thought that it was a good idea to be prepared. So I had my essential oil diffuser. I had my TENS machine. Have you guys talked about TENS machines? We haven't yet on the podcast, but we both have one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You both have one. So for those people who don't know, it's a TENS machine is a transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation machine. And 
it's used by a lot of people in this country for other things. Um, if you're in the U.S., people use it for back pain. Like we have um, a larger version of that that we use in our office for people when they have back, shoulder, whatever pain. It basically takes the sensation away from whatever pain is going on, and it makes your body focus on this other pain. Oh, well, it's not really a pain, but this other sensation. So you don't feel the pain quite so much. So other countries, I know Europe has used it for a long time, they'll use this in labor rooms to, they put it on your back, and basically it distracts you during contraction. So you can turn it up, and it'll distract you, and then you can turn it back down. And you can take it off at any point. You just don't want to wear it in water because <laughs> it is electricity. But yeah, so I had one of those. <laughs> yeah, very bad. Yeah. So I had one of those. I had like a vibrating massager for my back or whatever. We had music. We had all of these things. So we got all that set up, and I was laboring in the room, and I was in the tub for a little while. But So my room had a tub, but the tub, the jets were broken, and the water was cold because they don't want it to be so hot because they think you're going to cook your baby. But then it really wasn't even comfortable. It's like, I'm just going to get out of here. So I, I got out, and I was leaning over counters and just trying to make myself comfortable and you know, talking in between, and I was still good. And this hospital, they had nitrous oxide available, so I, mm-hmm. I said eventually I'd like to try that. So I laid down, and it all went bad from there. I don't know why no one said, maybe you should get up, <laughs> because I laid down, and when you get nitrous, they make you have continuous monitoring. Mm-hmm. And so I'm laying in the bed, and I was on my side or I was on my back, but my baby was posterior. And how I felt best was the complete opposite of lying down. It was baby, you know, hanging over a a countertop, letting the baby hang away from my spine. Mm -hmm. And so nobody suggested that. So I was just moaning into that mask. My husband, I looked at him at one point, he's in the chair, like on his phone, he just looked terrified. (laughs) Like, because he'd never heard me make any sounds like that (laughs) before. He doesn't know what's going on. And so, uh, yeah, I just, it, it just was really bad. I was like, I have ended up, ended up vomiting and urinating on myself. And then they kept um, trying to get me to go up to go to the bathroom. And I was like, why? I've peed everywhere. I don't need to get up. It was just really, really uncomfortable. And I had no idea how long, much longer this was going to be or, and I hadn't rested in two days. So it was, it was really hard. And so the, the staff there was, they were all very nice, but they did keep trying to push things on me. So they started off, I didn't want IV fluids, and they kept asking. And they were trying to be nice about it, but they just kept asking. And eventually I said, fine. So I got the fluids. And then eventually they said, you know, you, you've been in labor a long time. You seem like you're in a lot of pain. Maybe if you had an epidural, you could rest. And I kept refusing. Mind you, I did also have a birth plan, but I had given to them prior, and no one had any idea where that thing was. <laughs> so for anyone who goes into a hospital, it's a good, good idea to laminate that thing and bring, like, multiple <laughs> copies because yes. I have no idea. No one knew. So I was like, all right, well, I, I thought if I handed it to them, they'd put it in my file if that existed, and they would bring it to the room, but they did not. So no one knew what I wanted, so I was telling them basically for the first time. And so they, they suggested the epidural. I kept saying, no, no, no. Eventually I said, all right, let's do it. But I, I was terrified. That was for me the the worst because I knew what was about to happen and what I couldn't see. And I just really didn't, I, I couldn't believe that I was agreeing to it. And somehow the anesthesiologist must have been like right outside the door, like waiting. Like they could hear me moaning and they were like, I'm just going to stand here because I feel like they're going to need me soon. So they came in right away, and, and I got an epidural, and it was, for me, an awful procedure. But afterwards, it was like magic because it didn't feel that bad anymore. So I did get some rest. I got to sleep. And then the nursing staff, they, they switched over multiple times. And eventually, they said I was at 10 centimeters, and I could push. And I pushed for like four hours. And... At some point, my it was I was there for about a day already, and at some point, my doula had to go because she was still breastfeeding and she was leaking milk. 
And she had to, she Aww. hadn't been home. It was the that first night so she'd been sad. away from her baby. Aww. I know. And I was You're like, You're amazing it's for okay. understanding that too. You know, sometimes it's hard. It's hard as a doula to be like, Oh, like, I'm very uncomfortable, you know, and you don't want to leave. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it was awesome. Right. That you and I, at that. Right. And I, I felt bad. And I, and she, like I said, she's been my friend since I was in high school. Yeah. And I knew, I knew she had to get back to her family. And I never thought to set up a backup. So she was my support person. Yeah. And my husband, like I said, was just totally out of his element. I really don't think I helped prepare him very well in hindsight. So he wasn't able to really support me. And, you know, when I pushed and I pushed and I had a mirror and I was rolling on my sides and at one point I was up hanging on the ba- backwards on the bed and I had no idea what was going on down there because I couldn't feel anything and I couldn't really see. And at one point I said that they kept saying, maybe we should do a C-section. And I kept saying no, just like everything else. And eventually I agreed and I said, basically, you know better than me. You see this all the time. And, you know, I... Hindsight's twenty twenty. I wish I wouldn't have said that, or that my husband would have said something, but he didn't know. Yeah, to, he to didn't say know what something. he didn't know. You know exactly, exactly. Yeah. And so they got me all prepped, and they brought me to the OR, and my husband was so so nervous. He had his he got the surgical mask. He had it upside down. <laughs> oh, I guess the little metal part was on his chin. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he knows that's not how it goes, but he was just like really flustered, you know, Aww. like what's going on. And, and um, so all, our pictures after the baby was born <laughs> of him with the mask upside down. Now but, you have proof. Um, it's evidence. Right. And he was, he was also really worried because I had heard about this somewhere that this was a thing, but my arms, they didn't strap my arms down, which I'm glad that they didn't, but my arms were flailing. Yeah. uncontrollably yeah and it was it was weird and nobody told me that it could be a thing but I somehow I knew and he was worried he's like what the hell is happening <laughs> to my wife right now and um I I consoled him it was like it's all right it's totally normal <laughs> you know I felt like one of those those things you see outside of a car dealership that yeah yeah, yeah, so yep. that's what was happening. I'm flapping over here, Megan's just like, <laughs> she is flapping, looking at me like I'm crazy. Uh-huh. Yeah, you understand. I am uh, crazy. But so the the baby was born, so it was really bright in there, you know. And and everybody was, everyone was nice to me. There's no one was mean or 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 pressuring me or at that stage anyway. And baby was born. They they told my husband he could basically call announce what it was because we didn't know if it was a boy or girl. And he was very confused. <laughs> so I, did. I I said, it's a boy. And so, you know, they were stitching me up and getting him all cleaned up. And about an hour later, I think, I think I didn't see him for probably an hour. They brought me into recovery. And then I finally held him. And it was just weird for me because it it didn't happen how I expected. And I didn't feel the connection right away that I thought I would. And got back into the regular room, and I was so swollen, um, mm. just really ridiculously swollen. And postpartum was really hard. The baby didn't sleep. You know, I was totally exhausted. I was a zombie. And I began to get postpartum anxiety and PTSD. Anytime that I would see a friend who had the, the birth that they were hoping for, I would question myself. I would have flashbacks. I would see my scar in the mirror after I got out of the shower and it just like everything flooded back. And I would ask my husband why he didn't help me and he didn't realize, you know, what to do. And I knew it wasn't helpful. So I, I stopped asking, but I just felt so broken and not ready to be a mom. And no one told me that any of these things could happen to me if I chose to have a C-section. And certainly that doesn't happen to everybody, but it can. And so had I known I'm, may not have chosen that. So mm-hmm. I knew if I had another another baby, I'd have to do it differently. Couldn't, I didn't want to go through that again. So uh, when my first son was about 16 months old, I finally, I was breastfeeding. I finally got my period back. I had one period. And then it was coming back irregularly, or so I thought. <laughs> Seven weeks or so went by, and I thought I was getting puffy in the stomach region so I went to spin class and then I came home and I was like maybe this isn't from eating 
And so I took an old test that I had, and it was really positive. So I, I hid it in a napkin because my that husband was wasn't really home yet. Positive. <laughs> it was very positive. Well, from taking so many tests when I was trying to yeah, get pregnant no, the first I hear time. Yeah. You don't you know, even have to look at it twice. Not. You just know. Right. Oh, yeah. It was like right away. And these tests were technically expired because yeah. they were from when I was trying to get pregnant. So I was like, uh, I don't know if this is for sure, but this seems really positive And how could it be wrong? So I put it in a napkin and I hit it. And um, when my husband got home, I was like, welcome home. Make yourself make yourself comfortable. Mm-hmm. Have a snack. He's like, what's happening? He's like, who are you? <laughs> right. So he goes and gets changed, and he comes downstairs, and I'm like, let me. I just need to show you something. And I and I showed him, and he's like, I was wondering why you were being so nice. <laughs> I knew something was up. So not that I'm normally not nice, but when he does come home, I don't say, here are your slippers or, you know, something like that. So we sat down on the couch and let it sink in because it was a surprise, obviously, because I had had one period. I thought it was regulating itself. I didn't, and I hadn't gotten pregnant that easily last time. So surprise. So I went to, I, tr- I was trying to figure out what I would do this time. And just to confirm the pregnancy, I went to an OB down the street. And the first visit, it was like eight weeks. They asked me to sign a consent for anesthesia. I was like, what? It's like, I'm eight weeks pregnant. Why are we yeah. talking about this? Yeah. I, why? Yeah. That, and they made me sign a, um, a form that said I wouldn't smoke marijuana what? while I was pregnant. Yeah, what? I was like, that is crazy. Why are these two forms? Why do you make me sign these two forms? That it was so, it was so, so weird. weird. I know. It has so something to do weird. with, I think, because marijuana is legal now in Massachusetts. But uh, how uh, crazy is that? Not I won't do opioids or I won't drink or I won't, like, shoot <laughs> guns or, like, do something that is potentially dangerous. Just smoke marijuana. Whatever. So anyway, really I signed strange. it. <laughs> yeah, I signed it. I was like, don't plan to. So, all right, whatever. But I, I talked to the nurse practitioner about how, like, uh, I'm, I'm not doing that again. And she asked me to seek counseling, which is, you know, I had already been seeing a therapist, but not just for that. Because she said, you know, the doctor might want to um, do a section, do a section if the baby is too big. And I was like, yeah, okay, I feel like I'm in the wrong place now. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I decided to find a midwife, and I did. I um, I chose someone who I'd known for a long time and felt comfortable with, but she was kind of far away. And I had one appointment with her, and it was good. But then when I got to about 17 weeks, she went on vacation internationally and forgot to tell me and didn't give me a backup. And it and it, yeah, and it just mm-hmm. made me really uncomfortable. And so I was like, I don't, I'm sure she, and she's wonderful, and I'm sure she's wonderful at what she does. But for me, it just made me lose a little bit of trust and just made me a little bit uncomfortable. So I was like, I don't know that I can carry on with this. So mm-hmm. now I have to make another plan. And so I sat in my favorite pink chair and I was so mad and, and kind of crying. And I'm not usually a crier. But I cry multiple times throughout this story. <laughs> but I was out in that chair and I was so mad and I said, you know, what do I have to do? Deliver this baby myself? And then my next thought was, why couldn't I? And so mm-hmm. I thought, would that be so crazy? Do people even do that? And, and I did look for another midwife, but I had a really hard time finding anyone. And in anyone that I sent messages to, nobody replied. And so I was like, all right, well, it's either have the baby at this hospital I don't want to or I figure this out for myself. And so I learned a ton. I started listening to other women's stories on other podcasts who had done this, and a lot of them had had traumatic experiences in the hospital system like I had, and they really just didn't want to go back because no matter how good it was, there was always a chance that they weren't going to be in charge. There was always a chance that they were going to be lied to or forced into something, and they just didn't want it to be that way. And they didn't want it to be a medical event. They wanted it to be a life event and they wanted it to be where they were comfortable and that was home or in the woods or, you know, whatever. I didn't go to the woods. I stay home. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to be in the woods while I'm having a baby, but some people do. So I learned everything I could and started preparing myself. I did a ton of research on everything that, I was worried about. I really broke it down. What was I worried about if I stayed home? 
you know, was it hemorrhage? What do I, what can I prepare myself for in advance to make sure that that doesn't happen? What if it does happen? What can I have at home? And then my backup plan was the ambulance is a block away and the mm-hmm. hospital's 10 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And so there really wasn't, from, from all the research I did, a lot of people are afraid of home birth, especially as a VBAC, because they're worried about uterine rupture is the one thing they scare you about. You guys mm-hmm. know very well. And hemorrhage and, and other things. So I really dug into how frequent are these things and what can I do to prevent them? And that way I wasn't, I wasn't worried about any of it. And I wasn't worried about the baby either because I truly felt that my best chance for a safe vaginal birth was to not have anyone bother me and just let my body do its thing. Mm. And so I knew what to do in case of X, Y, and Z with the baby and um, resuscitation and all of that stuff. And my husband, he was a little nervous at first thinking no one else would be there, but then he got on board, listened to a lot of the same stuff, and I sent him a lot of information. And so we really prepared as a team for this event. Yeah. Thanks. And I felt super confident in it. And I told people. I just didn't tell my I was just going to ask you if you <laughs> if you disclosed your no. plan to other people. I, I did to friends and family, but I yeah. didn't to my care providers because I didn't know how they would react. And I had heard from Stuff. other women that people had been reported to authorities oh. and... Yeah, and just stuff I just didn't want to deal with. I just didn't want to deal with. You should be able to, as a birthing person, have the right to have your child however it is that you want. It's your body, it's yes. your baby. Whether you're educated Absolutely. or you're not educated, it should be your choice. And I just didn't want to deal with anyone. I didn't want to fight with anyone. Yeah. And so I stayed with them till 35 weeks. And then we had a conflict for um, an appointment with the there was a repair person coming to fix our fridge, so I had to cancel. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not going to go back. What are they even doing now? Weighing me, taking my blood pressure, you know, like I can do all of that stuff at home. I'm well equipped to take blood pressure and weigh myself and pee in a cup and, you know, track my symptoms if I have any. So I wasn't worried that I really needed them unless something came up. And so I stopped going and it was the best thing I could have done. Nobody was bothering me. No one was making me fearful. No one was saying, uh, you can't do this or you're getting too close to your due date. We have to do X, Y, and Z. And it just was able to unfold on its own. exactly what you needed. Yeah, which is exactly what I needed. And, mm-hmm. and so I was really glad that I didn't go. They did harass me, though, on a number of occasions with voicemails, fearful voicemails. Wow. Oh, so they you. did start calling you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they, they didn't... called me to reschedule. But what if you transferred care? They they like... didn't know if I did, but I didn't tell them anything because uh-huh. I just stopped going. So they just yeah. assumed like I mm-hmm. ghosted or maybe died. Oh. <laughs> <So> they... <laughs> so I don't know. They did call. So they they did. So they called to reschedule my appointment and I didn't respond. So I they called again, mm-hmm. left this voicemail, which I still have saved because I just had to say, but they were like, we're basically, we're so worried about you. You need to call us back. Like, really? If I walk into that office, you don't even know my name. You don't know my name. The first time I saw my doctor, she thought I was already a patient. And she started seeing me like, like she knew me. And I was like, am I in some alternate universe? <laughs> so I was not worried that you were actually worried about me. So they called, then they emailed, then they sent me a a message in the actual fail mail. And I was like, all right, I don't want someone showing up to my house. So I'm going to transfer my care to myself. I'm not going to tell them that I'm going to go pick up my records, leave that part blank and say, bye bye. So that's what I did. And then they stopped harassing me. So yeah, it was the best thing I could have done. So I had a feeling I would go into labor before my due date. And I was right. I went into labor like five days early. And we didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. Contractions started around nine on a Friday, and they were light, nine in the morning, light, manageable. My husband went to work, took my two-year-old to the grocery store and the pet store, and occasionally would stop to like concentrate, catch my breath. And you know, it was it was fine. And then we we got 
everything in the car, and I called my husband on the way out, and I said, I think I'm in labor, and he said, should I come home? And I said, nah, it's going to be a while. <laughs> Just come <laughs> home with you. Come. So we came home like around 6.30, and I was still, you know, doing fine. I was going slowly, and having my son home for this part was like the best for me. This and the next morning, because it continued till, till the whole next day. He was so cute, holding my hand through belly squeezes, we called them. And the next day when we set up the birth pool, he was putting water on my arms when I was in the pool. And it was just so precious. What was not precious was that night before, in between there, he woke up and my husband didn't even think and he brought him into the bed with us. And I was like, this is lovely because now I have to labor with two people in a queen-size bed and try not to wake them up. Mm. So... That was that was challenging. But we woke up, we ate breakfast, set up everything for the birth, got everything ready. And eventually my son went to a friend's, thankfully, so that I could just be by myself, basically. And we didn't have to worry about him. So we had a sleepover. And I was trying all the positions. And the only thing that helped me was standing up as tall as I could, leaning to the right, <laughs> or laying on my right side. So I was able to sleep a little bit in between. And I was moaning through contractions and things were getting more intense. And so around two, our son went to um, his friends and then my husband just did laundry and ironed, made some Chinese food at some point, which I thought was disgusting. And then he made me a grilled cheese later and I kind of nibbled on that. But I liked that I was able to eat if I wanted to or drink and I was in control of that. And um, I danced, I walked around, I was in and out of the pool and I made myself some affirmation cards, but I did not care about them at all. But I kept hearing in my head something that wasn't even on them. The Robert Frost quote, the only way out is through. Uh, yep. And I just couldn't couldn't get it out of my head. And it just, it really helped me through because it, it was true. The only way out of this is for the baby to come out. So you just got to roll with it now. So I was never afraid. I was never worried. I understood everything that was happening with my body. I was just going with it. And around 10 o'clock, I felt like I wanted to get in the pool. So 10 p.m. and things started getting really intense. There was no position that was helping at that point. I just had to ride it out. And I felt like I was going to throw up. And I got kind of sort of emotional just thinking, like, I really just don't want to do this anymore. And I was, a light bulb went off and I was like, I'm almost done. Because that's what everybody says. And everyone feels like they're, not everyone, but lots of people feel like they're going to vomit when they hit transition, and I was like, this will be over soon. You just got to ride it out. Yeah. So I'm squeezing my husband's hand as hard as I can, screaming at the top of my lungs. <laughs> this was the only thing that helped. And uh, he tried to say to me, you're, you're doing a great job. You're almost there. And I just said, I know you're trying to help. Please stop talking <laughs> because I really just need to concentrate. And then I felt a pop, and my, my water broke, and I felt down. I felt like there was a – it felt like a nose. And I was like, oh, please don't let this baby be face presenting because that won't be fun. Yeah. And I don't think it, I don't think it was, but I liked that. I, no one else was down there. No one was checking my dilation. No one was saying you're too slow. No one was saying we have to do X. It just happened how it happened. And so that I was in the water, so my husband couldn't see, but the head came out and then I was panting through the next, like in between the contractions, and I didn't push at all. With the next contraction, both both these contractions, it was two of them. I had fetal ejection reflex, and he just flew out, and I just oh, felt wow. of, like <laughs> legs and arms coming out into the water. It was so weird, and I was on all fours, so I turned over, and I pulled him up to my chest, and the look on my husband's face was priceless. It was like shock, amazement, love, pride. It was all these things just like all into one look. And uh, the baby didn't really cry. He was alert, but he wasn't screaming. I think because his entrance was a little more smooth mm -hmm, than, mm -hmm. than maybe My the third first was like baby that. Was. Like she didn't cry at all. She was like alert yeah. and looking around. Yeah, he was. He didn't cry either. Yeah, because it, I don't know. It just seemed like a, a better transition to me, mm -hmm. you know, so. More natural and so, friendly. Right, and so. Right. And so not bright lights. It was dim. The water was warm. So I brought him up to my chest and was just checking him out, listening to his breathing. He sounded a little bit wet, but I didn't think I needed to suction him. But now, now I'm in 
I'm in my brain where this is, if I have another one, I think I might have a midwife if I can have someone who's really hands off Mm -hmm. just for the fact that I wasn't able to enjoy that. Yeah, because I was right because I had to I felt like I had to really be on my game and make sure that I was paying attention to what I needed to look for in him and also what I needed to look for in me. So I was like my own midwife and the baby's doctor and also the person who just had the baby. So it was a lot to have to think about. So I love the way it, it happened and I wouldn't change it. But that was the one thing that I I now looking back kind of wish I. Like, I, I look like a deer in the headlights in the couple of pictures that my husband took of me because mm. I kind of was. I was going to say, you probably so were. Just, yeah. I know. <laughs> I was. What just happened? So I wrapped him in a towel, and the placenta took about an hour to come out. Um, oh. And then I, and I just waited. I waited just so it came out naturally because I knew that my best chance was to just let it happen so that I had less of a chance of hemorrhage. And we clamp the cord. I made some cord ties rather than using clamps. Oh, I love it when people do that. Tied off. It was, it was fun. It was like making a friendship bracelet. Yeah. <laughs> because, because I literally made friendship bracelets, but we used them to tie them off. So yeah. um, we clamped off the cord and then cut it and he took the baby to hold him and warm him up and I went to clean myself up and then when I came down because I didn't want to be, I was laying in that pool and all kinds of stuff ended up in that pool. So we made some chicken broccoli alfredo, and we all went to bed together. And um, the next morning, got everything cleaned up, and my my first son came back from his friends, and I sat in that same chair where I had had that revelation. Do people do this? And that's where he met his brother for the first time. And mm. you know, he's two, so he didn't have that many words, but he said, "Oh, baby, so tiny, so pink, so easy." Oh, that's so sweet. And I was like. Not so easy, but yeah, it's very easy. Yeah. <laughs> but my postpartum after that was so much easier. It was like it er- that experience erased my PTSD. It erased any depression that I had. My husband had a couple extra days off this time because he was born on a weekend. So we were able to kind of schedule for that. And we had someone help us a little bit. So I was able to shower and clean and do little things. And I just, I healed so much faster. I had a first degree tear that I let heal on its own, no stitches. I bled for a lot last time. But I did end up with pelvic organ prolapse, which I mm-hmm. don't know if you guys have talked about. Um, which we haven't was actually. really... It's we, coming up. We do though. have someone <laughs> specific going to talk about that. But yeah, talk about yeah. it. Yeah, so basically, I mean, there's all, there's almost no research on this stuff mm-hmm. because it's related to women. Surprise. <sighs> but... Basically, the the vaginal walls can kind of collapse in and the uterus can drop down. And so women can end up feeling like something's falling out. Mm-hmm. And, and it can get better and there's lots of different ways. But in the beginning, when everything's just been kind of moved all around, it really seems significant for a lot of people. And a lot of people have this and they don't even know. And they have, you know, ur- urinary leakage or um, leakage from their bowels or pain or different things that they don't realize are associated with it because no one ever diagnosed it in them. But so I knew what to watch for and I knew that I had it. And um, it was really depressing in the beginning, but 15 months out now, it's like the symptoms are so much less just because the healing that's, that's gone on. So I feel much, much better about it. But overall, wouldn't change a thing. And it wouldn't have mattered I mean, it only would have been worse probably if I was somewhere where people were telling me when to push because I let my body do what it was supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And this still happened. So, yeah, so that's my story. I love it. So good. I, you know, that's yeah, one thing really that I really loved story. about having my babies at home is that all my babies, all my other babies were there. Yeah. And it was really mm-hmm. neat, like with my fourth birth, and we knew it was our last baby. And my entire family was in the room with us when we welcomed her into the world. So my husband, my two boys, and my other daughter, we all greeted our last family member together. And it was like Mm -hmm. a really special thing. It was just a really special thing. And um, home birth is not the first choice for most people, and that's okay. And an assisted birth is not the first choice for most people, and that's okay. But we wanted to talk a little bit 
just very briefly about different locations for birth and for VBAC. Most people will choose hospital for VBAC, and that is totally fine. And you can have a safe and satisfying birth experience in a hospital. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about how to find supportive providers on our podcast. We've had several episodes so far about that. And we have a blog about it. And we talk a lot about it in our community and women changing providers during pregnancy and to find a different provider that's more supportive and that's okay. All those things are good. What's What matters is that you feel safe and supported and that you're educated and that you know what your options are. And so the first location obviously is a hospital where people would go. Just as important as making sure that you have a supportive provider is making sure that the location you choose to birth is supportive. So when you're talking to your provider about their how they feel about VBAC, ask how the hospital policies where they will deliver you line up with their with their views for VBAC because sometimes the most supportive VBAC provider in the world will be very restricted by what a hospital will or will not let them do. And same thing about choosing an in-hospital midwife is the in-hospital midwives typically have OBs that oversee and have to approve the care that they give. So while you may be under a midwife's care, an OB might have the ultimate say on whether you are or not are not allowed, and I'm using air quotes right now, allowed to be back or under what terms. Mm -hmm. So finding that out is really important if you're birthing in a hospital. Megan, you look like you wanted to say something. Oh, yeah. I just wanted to say also somewhere where you feel safe. Yes, absolutely. um, You may go somewhere that supports you, but every single time you walk in, you don't feel safe. Yeah. And that is so crucial to the way a labor can pan out. Absolutely. If you if you go in there and you're not feeling safe, you'll just close those cervix right up. Mm-hmm. Well, it was interesting because we were talking to, um, we were doing interviews last night. Um, so it would be a previous episode until now, and I can't remember which one exactly. But she said, uh, my contractions were strong. And then as soon as I walked into the hospital, they slowed down. They slowed down. And then I as soon as I left, they that. picked up again. She's like, isn't it funny how that works? And I was like... That is your primal instinctual feelings that turn and slow your labor down. If you don't Mm -hmm. feel down, if you don't feel safe, your body will protect you because of that feeling. And so it doesn't happen like that for everybody. And a lot of people do feel safe in a hospital and that's why they choose a hospital. But make sure that your hospital has policies that support your plans for VBAC. Second option is birth center or home birth. And those are usually the same in theory, in the fact that you're doing an out-of-hospital birth. Most midwives that do home births bring all the things they have at the birth center with them to your home, so you would receive the same quality of care at home or at a birth center. Um, Some people just don't like to birth in their home, or they live in a small house, or their husband feels more comfortable in a birth center, or for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. But the cool thing is, is that there's a recent study by the American Midwives Association. I think that's the first time I have said that organization's name right on the first try, mm-hmm. right? Is that right, yeah. Megan? American AMA. Midwife Association, yeah. Association did a study um, a year or two ago that, that proved that home birth is just as safe, if not safer, than having a birth in a hospital um, if four criteria are met. First is that home birth is planned and prepared for, that you have an experienced provider that knows and so has supported home birth before, that you have a, a solid backup plan in place like, If you have a home birth like two hours away from a hospital, might not be the best idea because it will take you a long time to get there if there's an emergency. So maybe think about traveling a little closer to the hospital if you don't want to deliver in the hospital. Just like Sarah just shared, she felt safe at home because her hospital was really close to her. If something bad happened, she could get there quickly. And then two options. Yeah, two options. That is true. Driving in the car. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth thing is that you are low risk. And guess what? Guess what? Being a VBAC does not automatically make you high risk. Nope. And if anyone tells you it does, they are not supportive. It's a red flag. Period. <laughs> and then the other option would be, um, like Sarah had, is an unassisted birth. Sarah was very educated. She knew her options. She had a backup plan. She knew what to expect. And she knew that she wouldn't receive the care she needed if she chose any of the reasonable options in her area. And so if you choose mm-hmm. to do unassisted birth, then I encourage you to learn as much as you can about the physiologic birth process, that you have a solid backup plan, and that your partner is on board. Because if your partner's not 100% on board, 
their fear and their frustration and stress in your labor can manifest into you. And then all of a sudden your body doesn't feel safe anymore. So mm-hmm. it can be like the effect we just talked about. So those are a few options for you. And what we want you to do is head on over to our Instagram or our Facebook pages and find Sarah's post. Um, it's episode number 91 on our feed and comment and tell us where did you give birth? What about that location made you feel safe? And how did you know that that was the right place for you? We want to get a conversation going um, because lots of there's lots of people out there birth givers and birth partners looking for their options and you never know um your comment might help inspire somebody to follow their intuition and give birth in the place that is right for them all right thank you sarah so much for being on our podcast today we we just absolutely love you and your story and it's definitely going to inspire a lot of people thank you and thanks for having me i I ended up after all of that deciding that I needed to help other people too, just like you guys do. Yeah. And I, um, I started a Facebook group, as you know, Julie, for oh, a yes, private yes, group. Yes. Yeah, called the Autonomous Birth Project. Yes. And I've basically been doing research for a year on people who would join this group and finding out about their experiences, so I can see what they chose and why, what could be improved, and from there, you know, how can I best help? So I just started a separate side thing called birth uprising and i'm hoping yes. to take that somewhere to help people get true awesome. informed consent no it's why you join a group i don't know but like i don't know Sarah, i am so Sarah, sorry this is a problem my brain that i just not in barely <laughs> made this connection that you were the same sarah that i have been talking to on facebook messenger like all week I don't know why, but like my mind is so disassociated. Um, Everybody, listen, go follow Sarah. Her Instagram account is Birth Uprising. Her logo is beautiful. It's like I actually got to participate in the creation of the logo and specifically the font and all the naysayers that said the first words should be capitalized. And yeah. I love exactly how they it is. Wrong. They were wrong. <laughs> they were wrong. And they're you. not capitalized. And it's beautiful. It's like yes. uh, two hands holding a baby. And, and then there's like bright yellow rays of light behind. It's a circle. It's gorgeous and beautiful. So give her a follow on Instagram. It's Birth Uprising. And join her group, the Autonomous Birth Project. I've shared a couple of things from her group. I'm like, can I share this on our on our feedback link page mm-hmm. and tag you? Because it's just so good. So you need to be a part of it yeah. if you're not already. And what I really love is that there are so many birth workers all over the country and even all over the world that are working to make an impact on their local birth community and even nationally and internationally too. And that's what it takes. It takes a lot of people Mm -hmm. to make a change. And so we are so grateful when we find people like you that just have this contagious energy for making the birth world better and creating change and giving power back to women. And so we are so grateful for what you do. And Megan is literally on her phone right now. I am. I'm liking your pages right now. Yeah. Immediately. (laughs) And so, yes, if you haven't already, go and join her pages and join her group, find her pages, like her pages. And I'm sure that your website is probably Birth Uprising. Yes. Okay. BirthUprising.com. Would you like to be a guest on the podcast? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share and submit your story. For more information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.